Hello, KCL, and good morning. Uh, this is Thank the Maker. I'm your host, Clay Ballard, and um, yeah, we're coming at you live on Monday morning to uh, talk about creativity, the arts, and uh, everything in between. This morning, we're doing a bit of an interesting episode, so uh, for those that have listened, um, we have done an episode with uh, Michaela Zamlut, the Frankenstein team, uh, but the first ever episode was, was with uh, my guest, Radhika Chauhan, but unfortunately I was not able to broadcast that, nor record it. So I have her back on today uh, to talk about some of her projects. Um, she's a writer, she's also a fellow global media industry student here at King's, and yeah, I'm excited to talk to her. So uh, we hope you join us uh, over this next hour as we kind of go into these topics, and uh, I talk with my guest this morning. I uh, hope you're having a great day, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Thank the Maker. Uh, good morning, Radhika. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, how are you? Like, it's Monday morning and it 9 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah, coming off the weekend. Um, mm-hmm. This weekend was pretty good. I went to go see a, a screening of The Social Network. Oh. At, um, have, you seen, have you seen that? I've seen the movie. Okay, yes. yeah. yeah. It's, it's a film by David Fincher, but it's been, I think it came out in 2010. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, I got to go see it at the Prince Charles Cinema. Okay. Have you heard of that? Yeah, too? it's yeah. pretty nearby. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I'd probably, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm embarrassing myself because I don't really know <laughs> London that well. Um, but Prince Charles Cinema, they do all sorts of like older film screenings, classic mm-hmm. screenings. Um, and they had the social network on. And uh, me and my girlfriend had been wanting to see that for a mm-hmm. bit. And it was like on our list. But then it popped up on mm-hmm. uh, the Showtimes. And mm-hmm. yeah, so that was... That was really nice and surprisingly relevant. Yeah. How about yours? How was your weekend? Really lazy. Yeah. I mean, I tried to get some reading done. Got some reading done. Yeah. Pretty basic. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any ideas for your dissertation yet? So for those that don't know, uh, both me and Rudik are on Global Media Industries, an MA here at King's College London. And uh, for an MA, any MA really, or MSI or whatever, you've got to do a dissertation. But yeah, have you been brainstorming about. I had a couple of ideas when I started here, but after I mean, six weeks of classes, uh-huh. I don't think they're going to work out. Yeah. So, yeah. That's <laughs> kind of where I'm at, too. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I came in like hard with all these ideas yeah. to Kings. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't yeah. know as much as I thought I did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, dissertation is far off. I have no clue what That's I'm going to write up in my essays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I don't really either. 
But yeah, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I really, really appreciate it. No problem at all. Yeah. Like, any reason to get out of bed early in the morning and start the week early. Like, serial procrastinator. Yeah. So, yeah. There's like a line there where I'm not sure if you're being sarcastic or not. But like, I do appreciate reasons to get me up in the morning. Do I like doing it? No. So yeah. Yeah. Like. The walk was a like a bit of a challenge with yeah. the wind, but yeah. Other than that, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for being on here again. Um, Radhika is among many things uh, a writer, a grad student here. Um, you're working on a film in some facet. You're a community organizer. You're a book nerd. Uh, everything in between. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, specifically brought you to Kings? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm from India, uh, from a suburban town called Noida near Delhi. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm an engineer, like, by from my undergrad education. Like, that's how I used to define myself. Yeah. Like, one of the things I used to define myself, like, give people kind of an opportunity to, like, do a chuckle. Like, ha, ha, ha. I'm an engineer, but, like, I'm writing stuff and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. That's how it goes. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the normal story. Like, got into engineering, figured out I did not really like it, tried to give it another shot, mm-hmm. but realized I did not really like it. So, like... Did the whole quit your job, follow your passion kind of thingy, but it was not really following my passion. It was just kind of doing something until I found my passion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I'd done a couple of freelance writing projects while I was in college, you know, just to own an extra park or something. So I thought that, you know, this is something that I could do in the meantime until I figured out what it is that I'd want to do with my career in the long term. Mm-hmm. So I dabbled a bit in, you know, copywriting, mostly online, like, writing blogs and digital copy and press releases and all sorts of stuff. So just so I get my timeline correct, did you, had you decided at this point that engineering was no longer for you when you were venturing into the copyright world? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I pretty much decided that not going back on that line. Right. Ever, ever. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> here's another question I have. Was you going into engineering a necessary step for you personally in order to figure out where you wanted to go next? Um, like, in retrospect, I like to believe that yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, as much as you deny it, your parents do know what's the best for you. And my parents kind of urged me to kind of study literature instead of mm-hmm. doing engineering because they felt that I could, you know, do better there. But I just don't didn't find that inner drive to actually pursue literature. It was only after I realized how horrible... <laughs> Uh, being an engineering student made me feel it was only yeah. that when I kind of started appreciating the value of good written words. Mm. It was like that. That's where that zinc factor came in. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. Yeah. What I'm reading is amazing. And that kind of got me involved in the whole, you know, publishing a- area. And that's, I think that's where I kind of started building like bits from bits and pieces, like where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. So like in the end, it all works out. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. And why, so why London specifically as mm-hmm. somewhere you wanted to be, or was it where you wanted to be? Was it more Kings or was it more London? It was more Kings to yeah. be honest. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, it presented a lovely opportunity. Like it was one of the, you know, 
best colleges in the like not best i mean it ranked pretty well yeah yeah it ranked pretty well so yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. it was we a can... fa- it was a fairly practical approach nothing <laughs> like yeah to you know uh, what do you call it not a passion thing but more of a practical thing because uh, when you're doing masters it's kind of like you're getting a second uh, chance at yeah. really doing whatever you whatever you want to do with your career so i didn't really want to just go and dive into it blindly i just wanted to kind of make sure that i was going to the right place right no i i feel yeah. that um it, it, especially the the tension between like passion yeah. and practicality yeah. cuz yeah. like as you get older yeah you know you I, I was listening to a podcast. Do you know Moby, perchance? I'm sorry, I don't. No, it's okay. Uh, he's an electronic music artist. Uh-huh. Uh, he did, if you know the um, Born Ultimatum or Born Supremacy, oh, yeah. he does yeah. the end yeah. song okay, at the yeah. end. You uh-huh. know, um, I won't do a rendition of it on air, but uh, mm-hmm. he does those songs. Um, mm-hmm. But he had an interview, and he he brought up a good point that at a certain point in your life, you reach an age where you're like, I can no longer be an architect anymore. I can no longer be a surgeon. Yeah. I can, and this whole idea, which is a very American idea, mm-hmm. that you can be whatever you want to be, kind of starts to disappear yeah, as you get older. At the end of the day, you've got to pay bills. Yeah, which is just sad in a, a lot of ways. But it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a big question yeah. that you face as you go older, especially when you go into a career that you're not so yeah, sure of, exactly. i.e. engineering. Yeah, like, throughout my entire switch, I could not help comparing myself to my peers who were mm. in the engineering stream, and I could not help thinking that a few years down the line, they'd be earning better than me, and what if I had not made that switch? Right. I would have been like more satisfied financially. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't really want to kind of, I just wanted to make sure that I was, you know, coming to the right place. So and like, as best as, as best as I could, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so in your, in your calculus was, uh, like what you're interested in mm-hmm. ultimately more important than like what earned money or was it a different sort of calculus in deciding um, to come here? I was kind of, uh, call it wishful thinking rather that I wanted what I want uh, I, I wanted to f- uh, believe that uh, as long as I was doing what I wanted to do uh, you know giving it my 100% I could you know you know make it through and I could you know make it really work mm-hmm. so I think I'm still kind of banking on that yeah no I mean I, I ultimately believe in that too it, yeah. it's it's probably wishful thinking, but <laughs> I, I do believe that if you're doing what you want to do, you will do it well yeah, yeah. because you'll want to do exactly. it well. And hopefully employers will see that. Um, super interesting. Were your parents supportive of your decision to come to Kings? Yeah, they were totally yeah. supportive. Like, uh, they were in uh, some bit of initial shock when I did the whole switch thingy, but I guess I they were yeah. expecting it. <laughs> really? Yeah, because I was always cribbing about my work whenever I used to go home and yeah. like it. And they used to uh, you know, always try, try to kind of uh, like let me like try to make me see the bigger picture that mm-hmm. it's not that bad you know but uh, for me it was like why should I settle for this when I can do something better when I can make myself happier doing something else so like why not give it a shot yeah. I don't have any responsibilities on me right now this is the time that I need to you know figure my stuff out yeah and- no it's true <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it's like you've got your 20s yes 
And I feel like beyond that, it starts to get, like, yeah. as much as people want to be like, oh, I yeah. know somebody that's changed careers at, yes. at age 45. Yeah. yeah. Once you get past, like, 30, and uh-huh. again, people are probably going to call me out on this, but I, I feel like it's it's so much harder. It's, it's harder. Yeah. yeah. It, it definitely is. Like, I've been lucky that uh, uh, I've, uh, like, I've had older people to speak with, like, my sister who's in her 30s right now and her husband, so mm-hmm. they kind of, like gave me that necessary uh, confidence that it's okay if you want to experience new things yeah. like you've got the time right now like we want to do it right now but we cannot do it without you know taking any number of things into account and you can do it so just go for it yeah so, at yeah. the time things happened they were just really happy that I kind of made it into a good college yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean that's, that's the other thing like yeah. we're here at a good university yeah, and yeah. like ultimately hopefully employers see that and they're like okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're smart maybe um, but yeah, no, <laughs> I think of it a lot, like in terms of like playing the stock market, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, a lot, and I feel like in a lot of, uh, uh, advice things I read mm-hmm. about, like planning your life finances yeah, yeah. when you're young, they tell you to take bigger risks. risks. Yeah. Um, because ultimately you don't have much money to lose at this point. Exactly. Um, and you don't have much of a life to lose. Exactly. Like it's, it's easy enough to start over, but yeah, mm-hmm. no, interesting thoughts. Um, and so you're studying global media industries. What uh, brought you to that? Was it the global? Was it the media? Or was it the industries? Both. <laughs> yeah, oh, everything. All, everything okay. <laughs> so yeah, I was scouting options. And uh, back in India, uh, communication degrees were mostly about radio broadcasting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just limited to that. So I felt that I needed a you know, little more to bank on. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking at... Uh, colleges abroad and started you know kind of really taking the course structure so for me it was like still kind of figuring out what I want to do and where what like I just had this vague idea that I would want to work in the creative industry mm-hmm. be it whatever so I felt that kind of global media industries would kind of give me that necessary exposure right so yeah so so far um Let's do a quick review of our mm-hmm. MA. Has it? Have you, have you, have you enjoyed it? <laughs> Thoroughly. Yeah. Like, every time I go out and I just nerd out on people, like, that's what I'm taught, teaching. Like, yeah. That's what I'm learning. Oh, my God. It's so amazing. Yeah. And, I, yeah. I totally get you because I bring up, the amount of times I bring up, like, modules in yes. this room yeah. alone, it's, it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> like, I'm sure if any of my teachers who are listening, they'd be like, oh, he's misunderstanding that subject. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's broadcasting it to so many people. Um, I mean, that's the work of studying a cool degree yeah yeah true yeah. true I, most times when i tell people that they're like uh, oh, okay. oh what what does that mean like first reaction is like media is that journalism to- yeah, yeah exactly it's like well yes but also everything else yeah like, does it mean social media yes but also the yeah it's a strange concept it's, yeah. i mean what it really boils down to um is just like how we as humans communicate yeah on a global scale. Um, and then I feel like each of us as students has like our individual interests in film or the internet or radio or whatever. Um, and, and it makes for some interesting classrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, last time I had you on here, uh, we did talk about a couple of projects that you were involved in and I'd love to talk about them again. (laughs) Um, so one that you talked about so passionately to, passionately to me offline was uh, your Broke Bibliophiles uh, project. 
Um, tell us a little bit more about that because it's super cool. Um, <laughs> is it a book club? Is it what? Is it a community organization? Mm-hmm. What is it? Well, it started off as a really um, um, tiny and you know really close Facebook group of people who were just really into reading books, and uh, most of them were students. Uh, most of them were in their uh, high school or in their college. Like, I was in my second year at that, that time. Oh, interesting. I don't think I caught that part. Yeah. Yeah. So so you always did not have a lot of money to buy books online or wherever. Mm-hmm. So there was this person uh, apparently who spent a lot of time online hunting deals on Amazon and Flipkart, which is kind of an e-commerce giant back in India. So what he used to do, he or she or whoever, we don't know, like that particular person uh, made an account on Facebook by the name Broke Bibliophile and mm-hmm. they started this online community called Broke Bibliophiles of India and what they used to do was they used to post links of uh, books that were on sale so you get 50% off, 70% off which was amazing back then mm-hmm. so um, so yeah, people got together and then conversations happened and then since all of them were so well connected online so they figured out why not meet up in real life so then that took off and uh, the book club came into being so yeah that was it so that was Broke Bibliophiles Delhi chapter the Bombay chapter and then I happened to move to Bangalore to mm-hmm. um, when I was working as an engineer so and Bangalore has kind of like a pretty uh intense music and literature and cultural scene so I was kind of surprised that why don't we have a book club here right it's a great way to meet new people so uh, me and then a, another friend we decided to yeah let's do it that's awesome yeah <laughs> so are you still um involved in it much at all from um, from here in London not as much as I'd like to be I just keep or uh, I just like like I'm, I'm in touch with all the members. Like mm-hmm. uh, they're really good friends of mine. But uh, when it comes to organizing meetups, not that much. Right. So I just try to what, handle the social media. Yeah. Part of it, so. It's still going strong, though, right? Is that? Yeah, case? it's 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 strong. Like, That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And it, yeah. It, so do you? How do you guys decide what to read? Is it somebody nominates a book, or what's mm-hmm. the method? So we tried uh, on different. Uh, methods earlier but they didn't really work out for us uh, mostly because like there are so many people and all of them are uh, they all of them don't prefer to read certain kinds of books so we tried to do themed meetups uh, this one time we tried to do like uh, there was a sci-fi meetup there was a fantasy meetup mm-hmm. but uh, people weren't really very happy with it so we just uh, we just follow a pretty basic structure that you read whatever you want to read and you come here you talk about the oh, things that you've read nice. and then, like let's take things forward from there were the the members of this group were mm-hmm. um any of them looking at, to get into writing oh yeah yeah, yeah. like i've got a friend uh, who um writes on linguistics so oh. and he's already got a book deal on his like he's signed a book deal and he's working wow. on his book and i think he's gonna come here next year to study linguistics that's awesome i, I hope he gets into a good college i'm I pre- i'm pretty sure that he will like yeah. he was already writing for scroll the guardian and wow yeah so yeah a couple of people planning to write more fiction 
Okay. Yeah. Including me, hopefully at some point. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that, that actually brings me to my next question. Um, so I posed this question to like everyone I've had on the show and I've yet to find a counter uh, argument or, or someone that uh, answers it in, I guess, the affirmative, if not the affirmative. Do you believe that as an artist immersing yourself in like the tradition of your craft the prior works of your craft is important i.e you're a writer do you think it's important to read um as a writer and i i doubt i will come across anyone <laughs> that will argue differently but i'm, I'm still pose it because i'm curious mm-hmm. if i will but it, is it important to immerse yourself in the tradition of your art to practice it i feel it is i yeah. mean uh to begin with this is it this is what gets you interested in pursuing that art for yourself in the first place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So th- there is that. And uh, I mean, uh, it, it so often happens that uh, if I'm reading something that I like, there's a reader in me and then there's a writer in me. Right. And I feel that with yeah. films as well. Yeah. 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 So uh, the reader in me is like totally engrossed in the narrative. Oh my goodness. Okay. This is happening. Blah, 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 blah. And then the writer will be, Oh my goodness. How did he do that? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a brilliant way to put this thing across. I wish I could pull that, pull something like that off sometime uh-huh. in the future. Hopefully, maybe. So it's important. I feel that it's important to read good literature. So equally important to read bad literature. Right. So, yeah, that's, yeah. it's so funny that you say <laughs> that. So, um, I do, I've brought this up so much, but I do improv, uh, <laughs> as like a hobby. Um, and I was thinking about this during one of my troop rehearsals the other day, but one of my like favorite, uh, practice methods or, uh, forget the term that I'm trying to find in my head. Um, uh, exercises <laughs> is this thing I don't think it has a name, but you basically go up on stage and you try to do the worst improv scene uh-huh. you possibly can. And it's such an effective tool for me because I pay specific attention to like what is bad and yeah. I do it. And it, it just, it helps highlight mm-hmm. everything yes. um, to avoid when you're actually yes. doing the show. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a really yeah. interesting point. Yeah. And I think yeah. it should be something that more people pay attention yeah. to in a yeah. broader art. Yeah. Sphere. I kind of do that as well. Like, uh, if there's some time that I'm supposed to just write something, mm-hmm. I'm not really kind of motivated to write it. I just like build out a oh, horrible sentences, yeah. horrible stuff. And then, Occasionally starts getting better and then you start getting an idea, you being more focused, okay, like the crap is out of the way. So yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. great strategy. Yeah. I think I, I read about uh, uh, something similar where if you're struggling to come up with like what a character will do, mm-hmm. you write out what they absolutely won't do. Yeah. And uh, you kind of follow that to completion, and then by the end, you'll be like, yeah. oh, okay, well, yeah. okay, this character would do this instead. And yes. it's like an yeah. Igen- yeah. idea generation method. Um, yeah, so, so did you find that broke bibliophiles? attracted um not only like readers but uh, and you've already kind of answered this but writers as well Mm -hmm. people that were reading to write was it a majority of the people that came to this book Um, club were not a majority of the people like uh, um like i'm just generalizing here at this point but can't help it so Mm -hmm. bangalore has is kind of the IT hub of India. So mm-hmm. we did attract a lot of engineers and a lot of coders who just wanted to, who were, who accidentally happened to be really, really interested right. in reading good books. Uh, so we got a mix basically. Mm-hmm. So it was like 60% people who were so much into their jobs. And then a couple of those who were like really invested in the whole creative idea of writing, reading, 
creating art and yeah, yeah so we got all sorts of people but the majority was yeah like, That's yeah. always a question I've had I guess mm-hmm. is like how much of a crossover there is between artists and creators because in the improv mm-hmm. world I feel it is uh this is kind of one of the downsides of improv mm-hmm. is that most of the people that go to see shows are people that perform in shows and it's it it cre- I don't know why it's a downside but it, it creates this really small ultimately uh audience of people that mm-hmm. only enjoy it because they practice it and i guess that's obviously not true for mm-hmm. people that go to the movies and yeah. more accessible art mediums mm-hmm. but i do wonder like is there cuz this is so true for me but is there like a little person in everybody's head that's being like oh i can make that or like oh i could write that um because it's certainly true for me yeah. do you feel that as yeah. like a creator yeah. yeah like i mentioned it's equally important to read bad literature and uh, uh you can't help but come across bad piece of writing or yeah. bad movies either by someone's recommendation who thought it was great right so, right true yeah. true it's almost like when people review things they're yeah. putting their own creative yeah. like or creator spin on it yeah. like deeming it bad as if they could do better yeah. um but yeah <laughs> cool and so um before we take a quick break i did want to uh, talk about you as a writer um because that's ultimately why I brought you on the show. Um and I am interested because you're this is something you're working towards. It's mm-hmm. not like you're a fully published author with like best-selling books, but you're like right in the process of yeah. like figuring it yeah. out. Yeah. Um so when you sit down to write whatever it may be, mm-hmm. what where what do you do with a blank page? What where does your mind go? Um, you have a blank page in front of you. So um Uh, most of my personal writing kind of i derive it from my surroundings and the things that i've experienced mm-hmm. so um like a couple of weeks back i was on my way to meet a friend and i was late and i was running through the streets of london and i was running through some back street and were you late because you were writing a book no <laughs> i was late because i'm very lazy <laughs> just like <laughs> uh and i i was around 7 pm and i heard the church bell ringing mm-hmm. and and while i was late i was incredibly i was like some 10 minutes late mm-hmm. and i could not help thinking oh my goodness that would be a great premise for a book yeah yeah so so, I mean, so like things like that get stuck in my mind and when i sit down to write i just begin with like i, mean, I take a quick note on my phone mm-hmm. and then i just got a series of notes and then i look for inspiration okay i could start with this i could start with that and right. i just go with it so do you, for you does inspiration kind of come randomly or is it something you're able to summon like let's say you're given a project let's say mm-hmm. you're given an essay for mm-hmm. class and you sit down with a blank page do you need to like think about this out in the world before you start writing or mm-hmm. are you able to just take a blank page and start writing um when it comes to non-fiction writing since i've kind of worked as a copywriter right. so it's not really a huge deal for me i just hunt for kind of a great way to start and it's that that's what i would normally do but when it comes to uh, storytelling or something that is way more personal to me uh, i i ho- i i hope that uh, <laughs> it would just come to me at any point that i would summon but no that's yeah. that's that's no. not how it works so so i just have to really be diligent in taking notes like some random idea occurs and i'm just just keep writing it down in places so i got a bunch of sticky notes and a bunch of notes here and there just everywhere yeah. to just like ideas for writing would you consider yourself a procrastinator 
A serial procrastinator. Okay, yeah. yeah. The reason I ask is I feel like a lot of creative people are, but not for the reason that, you know, more type A people kind mm-hmm. of, like, uh, address it as. I think it is more weird, and the, I'm, I'm, like, giving excuses for procrastinating, <laughs> but I, I'm curious if you agree at all, but I think it's more we're incubating ideas. Yeah. As opposed to just sitting with a blank page and doing it. Yeah, the idea of sitting in front of a blank page or a blank document and then just working your way through it is really, really, uh, what do you call it, Um, intimidating. It is, yeah. And, like, I'm sure some people have, like, a process or a formula where they can just spit out work. But, I don't know, when you're trying to be creative, uh, and we'll talk about this, Mm -hmm. the definition of creativity in a little bit, but I feel like it's important to be novel and interesting and new and in order to get there you can't just rely on your habits exactly you've got to find inspiration you've got to find inspiration and then when you're uh, writing about it and so you end up having a lot of parallel conversations in your head Mm, oh my god this person has written this already i need to change this this is not new i need to change this as well Mm -hmm. so i mean you cannot help it being a creative and i feel in any field because that whole pressure of doing something new and uh, creating something amazing and it's a lot of pressure it's a lot yeah. of pressure so yeah yeah you kind of thinking what will that person think what would would my mentor think or what would my like that one person that that one creator that you look up to the most would think after yeah. reading your work would they would say that oh my goodness this is so this is a this is this is horrible or I mean so yeah right you, you need to tune tune it all out and just interesting so when you're creating do you feel most I guess is the pressure on you to, to create from mm-hmm. how you think other people view your creation or do you feel the pressure more from yourself and on creating mm-hmm. something interesting and good for you is it more for other people or more for yourself Wow. That is me when I'm procrastinating ah, on I my creativity. Yeah. Uh, when I sit down to write, uh, I face a little trouble in the beginning. That okay, yeah, fine. Let's see where it goes, mm-hmm. and then it's as it starts to build up, I start gaining more confidence in it, and I just keep writing and writing yeah. and blah, 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 and then just get done with it, and then I give myself a day or two to kind of go back to it and then look at it from a fresh perspective, not something that oh my goodness, I created it, I love it. So yeah, yeah, it's. I think that's super helpful. One of the, the strategies I use uh, that I picked up somewhere is when you reach the end of writing something and you like have looked it over so many times that you like can't process it as yeah. anything but your work change the font to comic sans oh. and it's like a toddler wrote it mm-hmm. and you can more easily identify yeah. uh the mistakes that's um, a great idea yeah. i think i'm gonna do that with my essays you totally should <laughs> it's a great strategy um anyways we're gonna take a quick break um as per tradition uh, i've asked you to bring a song for us to listen to for our break uh what is the song you chose today um, I want to break free. I mean, very uh, aligned to what whatever you we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I want to break free by Queen. Uh, coming right up.
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, this is Thank the Maker, uh, KCL's premier creative interview show. I've got Radhika on here with me talking about creativity, about her uh, hobby as a writer, maybe potentially creative career as a writer, and uh, yeah, everything in between. Um, so that was Queen, I Want to Break Free. Why did you choose that song? I don't know, I'm just really in love with the band. Yeah. <laughs> so the first episode we did, which was not aired nor recorded, uh, you also chose Queen. Yeah. Is that what is mostly playing in your ears when you're walking around campus, Queen? Yeah. Great, great choice. It's also because, like, uh, one of the members, John Deacon, is a KCL alumni. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That is <laughs> awesome to know. I'm so, Why don't they have him on one of those, like, headboards out in front of King's I College? Don't know. That's dumb and should be fixed immediately. <laughs> Very cool. Like, I could be wrong, I mean, considering that they haven't really put him on one of the boards. So right. Yeah. I hope you're not, because now it's not. on the internet yeah. public record. No, we'll, <laughs> we'll have someone fact check that. Um, but cool, yeah. if it's true, whatever, if not, a queen's great. <laughs> um, anyway, speaking of music, like, I really liked your, the intro to the show. I mean, where did you get that from? Thank you so much. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, so... That so the intro to the song, um, yeah, it's a funny story how I got that uh, or intro to the show rather. Um, do you know H three H three perchance? I, I'm afraid I don't. Okay, know. so they are a uh, YouTuber, Ethan Klein, I think is his name, and he has his own podcast and he uses a, a song for an intro that's quite popular. Anyways, what I did to find this song was I took that intro song, which is on Spotify, mm-hmm. which I quite like. And I put it into a playlist. And you know on Spotify how it's like, if you like this song, you might like these songs. Yeah. And what I did was I played through those sample songs until I found one that I kind of like as well. Mm-hmm. I put that in the playlist. Wasn't set on that as my intro mm-hmm. song. And so I kept doing that and building out a playlist to curate the recommendations it would give me. <laughs> until I finally found, finally found this one. And then, yeah, I took this and I like layered on... Um, like sounds of creativity on top of it. Ah. Yeah. Um, so I took like like somebody scratching on paper, mm. someone like thumping on um, some music sticks and like some industrial sounds. And of course the show's namesake is from Star Wars. So I had to get the quote from Star Wars. But yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That's a lot of work. And yeah, yeah. I that's like a problem of mine is like when I get an idea, I like dive headfirst into it. Like, so I'm, I'm assistant directing this production of Frankenstein who were on last week. And um, last night I, I 
I went and took headshots of the production on Friday and I had to like edit it. And then I had an idea for a trailer mm-hmm. while we were doing rehearsal on Friday as well. And so I like took those clips, put them together and I sit, I sat down for like two hours and just made a trailer completely unnecessary. Nobody asked me to do this. Um, but I had an idea and I put it together and like I ran into all sorts of little nitty gritty problems. Like the audio recording was bad. The lighting was bad, but I just sat there for like two hours, two and a half hours. I don't know how long, and somehow made it work. I I dive way too deep into things that are way too inconsequential. Um, but I mean, like, I feel that that's always good in the long run. True, I agree because I'm exercising skills yes. that I can use on actual projects. Yeah. Um, but the main point is, I appreciate that it went noticed this time, so thank you. Uh, yeah, I spent a good amount of time on that stupid intro song that plays at the uh, beginning of the show and the end, um, so I appreciate that. It's got a nice chilled out vibe to it. Yeah, right? I, I don't know if that's the vibe that I wanted for the show, but I, it, it's the vibe I've created. So, you know what? That's, that's, where, that's where we're at. Um, so, back to you. Um, you're a writer, you're a reader. What is who? Who is your favorite author that you read? That's a very difficult question. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I feel like favorites in general are quite problematic. But yeah, yeah. if if you wanted to talk about one that you've like liked recently or been interested in yeah. recently, you yeah. certainly yeah, can. That's 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 that, that's something I can answer. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a couple of months back, I was in. Kind of a reading slump, and I wasn't re- really reading anything because I was so busy with uh, college applications and like uh, juggling work and n number of things. And uh, someone gifted me this book, not someone, uh, rather a really close friend of mine gifted me this book. Uh, it was called A Man Called Ove mm. by Frederick Brackman, and it featured uh, the story of a man whose name was Ove, and um, he's a 59-year-old man, and he's been let go. Uh, uh, by this company that he used to work for, he he basically worked for all his life, and mm-hmm. uh, he's all alone and he doesn't really have anything to look forward to in life. And uh, and then a series of events happen that kind of change his entire perspective, not change his entire perspective rather, but kind of give him a reason to wake up in the morning mm-hmm. and you know not just grumble around all day and just really look forward to things and the way that entire story is narrated and the way th- that they've uh, kind of made that character who's so grumpy and uh, incredibly 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 grumpy in the beginning yeah. and he, it's he's it's just made so endearing to the reader so that's I think that's really so that's something I really appreciated. Yeah, and and who is the author that wrote this? Uh, Frederick Bachman. So cool. he's a Swedish author. And uh-huh. It's been translated into a couple. Interesting. And I think they're also making a movie. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, I I find it quite interesting translated works. Do you think? I mean, it's hard to tell because I doubt you've read yeah. it in Swedish. <laughs> but do you think that's like? How do I phrase this question? It's not the original work at the yes, end of the day. Yeah, it's a translated yeah, work. Yeah. How do you think that plays out in terms of 
um, enjoyment in terms mm-hmm. of this being the actual product mm-hmm. that the the artist created. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, like translated works and um, whether they're I feel it depends valid. a lot on the translators. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. That's true. Translators the choice are... choice between translating something literally and then, or just, you know, conveying the meaning that yeah. is colloquial to one language and colloquial to another language. So, yeah, I think that's where it all comes down to in the end. Do you, would you agree that, and I doubt the answer is yes, but posing it anyways, would you agree that the English translation is the same work of art as the Swedish original um, work? Not really. Okay. No. <laughs> like I've read a couple of um, uh, Hindi translations as well, and mm-hmm. it is not nearly the same thing. But that's something that you can't help. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... Um, at best, the translator could do is like create footnotes. That, right. Okay, this is what it literally means, but we did that and that, blah, blah, blah. So, do you uh, think that's necessary in translations? Uh, not really necessary, mm-hmm. but uh, it kind of helps reader to, you know, kind of get as close to the original book as possible. Yeah. Like I've noticed that in a couple of Russian translations. So Super interesting. Yeah, and this this never crossed my mind that you, as a person in particular, would be a consumer of... Uh, art that, or really written art that is in another language and then is in English, do you notice a difference in, is there a difference in how books are written or how narratives are constructed across different languages? I mean, are there differences at all that you notice? Obviously there are language-wise, but I'm wondering about like broader differences because um, in a way it's uh, sorry to keep interrupting, <laughs> but it, it, I'm just going off the top of my head. In a way it's like you're using a different medium to express yourself. Mm-hmm. You're painting over here with English and maybe you're doing like an oil painting or like watercolors in uh, Hindi or whatever yeah. other thing. That like That's almost the equation in my mind. But would you agree? Uh, I believe it's a lot to do with uh, the nature of the language itself. Yeah. So a lot of um, typically... Uh, 1960s uh, Hindi literature was a lot to do with day-to-day life and Mm -hmm. that becomes reflected in the way that it's written but if you translate it to English it doesn't really come through as clearly that uh, that element that nostalgic element Mm -hmm. is missing but uh, yeah so it could be there but uh, that's speaking of a genre that specifically deals with kind of making the reader relive those right. that era but if uh, uh, speaking of someone like Murakami who's into magical realism I don't really feel that language is that much of a barrier as long as the right. narrative and the uh, plot structure and the nitty gritties of the s- sentences and what makes good prose good prose is conveyed so yeah. I feel it's got a lot to do with what's being written about that, and that's super interesting and, and totally true and I guess what I'm going with here is that you get different genres in different languages yeah, as well. Yeah, so yeah. ultimately, different things are being written about. Yes, yeah. um, whether you look at film with like Bollywood being a popular um, genre within India, uh, or um, I don't know, in Korea you've got you know your K dramas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a really interesting thought. And and have you seen the movie um, uh, Arrival, perchance? Uh. I'm afraid I have not. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's a really good film, um, but it's basically, it's about, 
I love sci-fi, um, but it's about aliens that come to Earth mm-hmm. and they speak in a language that is not linear. So English okay. is linear. Mm-hmm. I feel like most languages on Earth are linear. If there isn't one, <laughs> someone let me know because I'm sure it's interesting. Um, but the language that um, these aliens speaks speak are, is circular in a way. Um, and, and what it does is it gives these aliens a different way of perceiving everything. They perceive like birth and death as oh. on the same plane, okay. as happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like you know, in human languages, it's there's a beginning and an end. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's super interesting to think about how language structures stories, how language structures art, um, particularly on the front lines, which is books and narrative fiction and narrative anything. But yeah. It's it's super curious. Um, I, th- I feel like I read somewhere that Hindi is particularly like poetic and sing songy. Is that true at all? Oh no. Okay. Rebecca's <laughs> <laughs> shaking your it's, head. It's it's. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I might be wrong. I mean, but uh, maybe it's just because it's kind of my mother tongue, so yeah. I don't really, uh, you know, kind of take it for granted. Mm-hmm. So, but I feel Urdu and Bengali is, is are way more poetic and Interesting. Uh, sweet to listen to. Right, right. Yeah, and th- that's a whole other thing with languages is like how they actually sound, whether yeah. they're gritty or rough yeah, yeah. Um, or softer and more vowel sounds. Yeah. Super interesting. I'm sh- if there's a dissertation out there on this subject, <laughs> I'd love to read it. Um, on to the next big question. Uh, would you consider yourself a creative um, Would you consider yourself not a creative? Let me revise this. Creative period question mark. In my day to day life, I'm afraid no, because no. I don't really, you know, kind of follow a creative process every day. It's mm-hmm. just that if I've got an inspiration, then I'll just um, get down and write and do it. So it's not a profession that I'm pursuing right now. So, like in the strict definition. If there is one, <laughs> uh, not really, because uh, most of my creative efforts are just random bursts of inspiration, and just so not something that I'm really proud of. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so interesting because I feel like so everyone I've had on here, mm-hmm. and I'm, okay, let me revise this. I've only had three people on this show, four people with a double feature, but I feel like most creative people are quick to say that they're not necessarily creative unless they're actors, um, which is something I've noticed. I don't know if that has something to do with being on the stage or yada yada. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting that people that are on the front lines of creativity don't consider themselves necessarily creative. Because I would consider yourself creative. I feel it's got a lot to do with the frequency of uh, you know involving oneself into the in the act of creativity it's not that you get up every day and then uh, you do your workout and then mm-hmm. you like have your breakfast and you then you sit down and do something creative it's more intangible and it's more uh, non-linear if i could say that no yeah <laughs> yeah no i i think i agree how how would you define creativity i mean in an ideal scenario i should do something creative every day mm-hmm. that is how you build it that is how you develop it that's how you experiment with it that's how you understand and right your I'm sh- but my, I guess my argument would be that you probably do do something creative or, I mean do you cook I, I mean yeah, in that respect everyone is a creative <laughs> right yeah but I, I I would argue that um, do you would you disagree do you think there there needs to be a line drawn um, 
I feel it's also about what you feel mm-hmm. about cooking. For example, like for people, for some people, and uh, there's a friend of mine who's like really, really into cooking, and she's on her way to become a super chef. Mm-hmm. So for her, uh, the act of cooking is art. It's creativity. Right. But for me, it's another chore that I have to deal with. Yeah, in, that's a fair yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. Until unless I'm in a good mood and I'm, I put on some music and I really enjoy the act of making food, which is not very common. <laughs> yeah. So here's another even bigger question, and I'm just I'm shooting a lot of big, heady questions at you. So please bear with me. Um, how would you define art? Is art, like you've just said, ultimately in the eyes of the individual, mm-hmm. or is art a broader cultural? Thing that can be defined. Do you have any opinions on this? I hope Professor Howells is not listening to this. Is <laughs> 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 it be like, have I taught you nothing? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, according to this module that I'm taking, it's uh-huh. called visual culture. It's uh, it tells you how to. Analyze the visual images that are around you, uh-huh. and Professor Howells would argue that art is a lot in the eyes of the beholder, mm-hmm. but it is also about what the person who's uh, perceiving that art uh, knows about that piece of art, mm-hmm. for them to consider that piece as art. Mm-hmm. For example, like you know take Picasso for example mm-hmm. a lot of people would say that even my brother could draw it but right. when you understand the creative process behind it when you understand the artist's history and the story and the whole uh, art history in general and then when you look at it with new set of eyes it's art for you right so it's I think it's got a lot to do with individual perception interesting so if I could boil this down if I call something art does that mm-hmm. make it art is that what you're saying if- for you, if it's art, it's art. Okay, interesting. It's it's it's, it's a very personal thing. What you consider right. art, right? And yeah. do you do you? I know that's from your module. Do you agree with that? I totally assessment? agree with it. Yeah. yeah, like that is something that makes total sense, and that is something that I can grasp a concept in my hand. That okay, yeah, this makes sense. I can live with it. I can define it in some manner. Right. Right. It's fascinating. That's that's a new one that yeah. I haven't heard before. I feel like I've spent so much time arguing over something is or is not art most most recently video games mm-hmm. and the art of game design yeah. i think it's very much artful yeah. yeah um but i've run into a lot of people that are like oh no like my classic example is the game of chess the mm-hmm. design of chess is i consider art yeah and by extension the design of board games or something mm-hmm. is art um and and my whole definition has been um Something that is created with the intent to express something. But I feel like your definition is quite challenging to that and that it doesn't have to express anything. It doesn't have to be created with intention. If the beholder deems it art, it is art. But this this is another school of thought that if you consider something as art, don't you think that it's expressing something to you for you to kind of... True. Right. So it's it's a personal. I'm I'm putting something onto it that's yeah. not necessarily yeah. there. Yeah. And that makes it art. Yeah. Also, it's got a lot to do with the degree of exposure. Mm-hmm. So maybe I've been 
just been exposed to kindergarten drawings right but a great drawing right i would call it art oh my goodness this has a lot to say right and you can see that with the history of art too yeah. right yeah. you go back to caveman drawings or whatever exactly and if i'm sure you know let's give a caveman a name <laughs> ug ug goes up and sees the latest cave drawing and he's like this is a masterpiece yeah. no that's to- that's spot it's very interesting i will want this masterpiece in my cave <laughs> yeah let, let me try it <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it's fascinating. This is this is great. This is why I have people like you on this show <laughs> to challenge me. Um, awesome. So, are you uh, before we wrap up here? Are you working on anything currently um, in terms of your writing, or more broadly? Uh, in terms of writing, sadly, no, mm-hmm. not yet. That's okay. <laughs> um, uh, I am working on this. Uh, kind of a short movie it's kind of a home production by a friend uh, it's called Miraki which is uh, oh it's got a name to... awesome <laughs> yeah it's got a name <laughs> yeah so the last time I had Riddick on the show uh, there was no information that could be revealed about this film so I'm, I'm very excited <laughs> keep going uh, so it essentially means uh, living your own art putting your mm-hmm. entire soul in it I'm not av- al- still I'm not allowed to say a lot about it but right. um, the whole concept of the movie kind of revolves around the person living his art. Right. And in what facet are you working on the production? Um, mostly a very tiny role, like polishing the script and because it's kind of a home production so right. everyone does a lot of things. So like I worked a bit on the trailer and we're in the post-production right now. So it's just come and goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, um, Thank you so much for being on the show. Before we sign off, uh, do you have any recommendations for those that are listening? Um, uh, I would definitely recommend everyone to read A Man Called Ove. Okay, it's yeah. A uh, Man Called Ove. And yeah. remind us of the author one more time. Uh, Frederick Bachman. And it's a very wholesome, very heartwarming read. It will make you laugh, it will make you cry, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is another book that I'm reading it's called The Story of a New Name it's mm-hmm. uh, the second book in a four uh, part series called The Neapolitan Novels it's from Elena Ferrante which is also a pseudonym for we don't know who and again it's a translation it's been yeah, translated from Italian and it follows the story of two girls uh, in Naples and who live in a fairly backward um, neighborhood. It's set in Italy of 1950s and it uh, kind of shows how uh, these two girls kind of start off as friends and then they grow up and then the toxicity comes in and yeah. how they kind of feel all these awful wow. things about each other but yet they are there for each other in the end i hope they are at least and what was the name of that one more time uh, the story of a new name lovely uh, yeah great well thank you so much for coming on the show one more thank time thank you so much for having me and we're gonna wrap it up there uh have a great monday morning y'all that's it